And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the Offside Rule WSL edition. It's a special one. Coming up on this show, happy anniversary to the WSL. The league is 10 years old and we'll be throwing our very own socially distanced party to celebrate. Everton boss Willie Kirk joins the pod to give his thoughts on the impact of the league. Now, here's a quiz question for you. Who do you think was the scorer of the very first WSL goal? All will be revealed later on the show when she joins us. And we'll be testing your knowledge of more of the league's facts and stats as we draw up our very own WSL 11. Welcome along to the show. I'm Lindsay Hooper. And I'm Kate Borsay. And joining us today, women's football commentator and BBC London sports reporter, Chris Slegg. Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Hi, thanks for having me back on. And you're on for an anniversary episode, Chris. Any anniversaries for you this year? Yeah, it's really interesting. Obviously, today, 10 years uh, since the start of the WSL. I I hadn't really thought about that, but I've been looking ahead to the 50th anniversary of the the first Women's FA Cup final, which falls on May the 9th. And uh, I've been looking into the history of that competition over the last few months. And uh, it kind of escaped me, obviously, that the WSL being 10 years old. But it's amazing to see how the, the, the Women's FA Cup led into the National League and then WSL, so so many great landmarks uh, to look back on, which is obviously what we're going to be doing over the next hour or so. We know you've got a Women's FA Cup book, Chris, which is great news. We'll look into that a little further, actually, when we discuss some of the fixtures ahead. For now, though, I hope you've got your best party outfit on. Oh, very much, definitely, yeah. I haven't had a haircut yet, though. (laughs) No, nor have we. Kate and I booked in for the 4th and 5th of May, so we join (laughs) you, Chris, there. Uh, We will get the party poppers at the ready, though, to celebrate 10 years of the FAWSL. Well, 13th of April 2011 was the date of the first WSL match between Chelsea and Arsenal. Back then, David Cameron was Prime Minister. Brexit and Covid were definitely not a thing. Adele's Someone Like You was number one in the charts. Prince William married Kate Middleton later that year. OMG and LOL, they were added to the Oxford English Dictionary. Kate likes to use those on a message. (laughs) Uh, What was it like then in the first season of the WSL? Well, there were only eight teams in it back then. TV coverage was scarce. The only live game you'd see back in 2011 was the Women's FA Cup final. There were a few highlight shows, but nothing like today, Lynn's. No, um, I was doing a lot of those highlight shows back in the day, but from the second season, not the first one. Uh, You can actually read so much more about this. There's a great piece by women's football correspondent Katie Wyatt on The Athletic. One I know that you've read this morning, Kate. It's about the moments that changed the game over the past 10 years. Yeah, it's really good. It tells you that 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 very first game took place on a Wednesday afternoon. Bizarrely, I thought that that was odd. (laughs) And just so many great memories and the importance of teams like Manchester City City coming into it uh, in 2014, I think it was, and just those those moments that really punctuated the growth of the league. More WSL memories to come, because as well as Chris, during the show, we'll also be hearing from some friends of the podcast and some familiar voices in women's football, just like these, starting with former Chelsea defender Claire Rafferty. 
You're listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition from Muddy Dean's Media and The Athletic. Favourite WSL memory has to be a cold winter October night when we won 4-0 against Sunderland to lift our first ever WSL trophy. And since then, we've gone on to win a lot more. Hiya, Sue Smith here. Wow, 10 years of the WSL. Can't believe it. Uh, my own personal memory, I suppose, is is signing for Lincoln. First time that I went to a, a full-time professional environment. But the league has just grown from strength to strength. The standard of football is, is brilliant to watch. And we've got some of the best players in the world right now. And, and I think my favourite memory was probably Liverpool winning the league on the final day of the season in, in 2014. They were third going into that day. They managed to, to win their game and the top two lost. So what a, a great, exciting end. Hey, Kate and Lindsay, former WSL defender Laura Bassett here. For a favourite game of mine, I'm taking it back to the very first season. Bristol Academy versus Birmingham. Five goal thriller, live on ESPN, under the lights. What more could you ask for? We were losing 2-1 until Chelsea Weston equalises in the 88th minute with an absolute rocket. Still one of my favourite goals. And then Rachel Williams scores the winner one minute later. The celebrations and emotions at the end of the game were wild. So happy 10th anniversary WSL. Here's to the next 10. We'll have some more memories from 10 years of the league throughout the pod. And thank you so much to all the former players and pundits that have been getting involved in this. Uh, Lindsay, I've got to ask you, having been in it for so many years, making you feel old here, (laughs) uh, for some of your standout moments, what really jumps out to you? The very first season that that I presented the FAWSL review show was the second season. So um, Ali Shaw had actually presented the first season and Jackie Oatley as well. And then I'd started filling in 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 that second year and that was the year that Arsenal suddenly lost their grip on just absolutely bossing the women's game it was the first season that Liverpool were crowned champions and then the season after that the fact that they retained the title and it all went down to that final day and I remember different members of production being on sections of the motorway wondering where they got to take the trophy to and it was such an exciting day for broadcasting because uh, when you're doing those sorts of shows as you'll know you know that that live buzz you get anyway but when there's a title at stake and there's just three different outcomes it, it was all so exciting I remember the very first game that I covered. So I covered on Sunday the 8th of April in 2012. It was at Boreham Wood, Arsenal against Everton. And they were two juggernauts of the game. Um, Mm. it, it It was a big, big tie, but not as many people as you would see at games nowadays, of course. And you'd walk through. I remember the very first time getting there and just strolling through the stadium walking no one approaching me no passes being checked you could just get wherever you wanted to and they were just happy to have you and to to be covering the game and the very first show that we did included a an interview with Mark Sampson who at the time uh, was the Bristol Academy manager and he was my very first manager interview in 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 the game it, it was it's just great looking back but you feel like it was yesterday and I'm sure bringing yeah. Sleggy into this and some of his early memories as well you can't believe that it that it's nearly 10 years, well, nearly 10 years for me and probably is 10 years for you if you go back to that very first inaugural season, Sleggy. Yeah, well, to be completely honest, I'm a bit of a Johnny-come-lately because it was that final day in, in 2014 that really got me into the WSL. Obviously, you know, I, I covered the launch, I was aware of it, but I just, I wasn't 
paying enough attention to it. And, you know, that's when I, I started to sit up and think, really, there was so much more to explore in the women's game. And to have a final day like that, and, and it does help when there's only eight teams in the league, as there were, to, you know, to have so much riding on the last day. It's more likely to happen than in, in, in a big division. But to have Liverpool, Chelsea and Birmingham all going into that final day with a chance of the title. And, you know, for Liverpool, were were third, weren't they, at the start mm. of play? And to win it on goal difference um, ahead of Chelsea and Birmingham. And I think not, not only was that a great memory in itself, but what, what that probably did for Emma Hayes as well mm. at Chelsea, that, you know, the determination not to allow that to happen again and, and to think that it was the following season they won the double, the FA Cup, and, and their first WSL title and have become, you know, a leading force in, in the women's game. So I will always look back on that as a moment that really got me hooked into the potential of the WSL. But, yeah, how it has grown since. I mean, it's it's just phenomenal. And how it will grow in, in, in the next 10 years, you, you can only imagine. Kate, you and I have, have gone on the road and we've done many podcasts <laughs> from different matches. We went out to the, the World Cup in Canada um, starting yeah. this podcast, really. That's where the, its humble beginnings began because we started doing audio content around the women's game. And yeah. uh, do you We rem- did the Champions League before then, though, I think. Yeah, we did. I was going to say, do you remember the, the very first? Cup maybe before then as well. Yeah, I can't. I can't remember the very first game we went to as a pair I can remember um, going to Everton and actually Becky Easton who is still one of the major stalwarts really and it's a name that not many newer um, fans of the WSL will know but Becky um, I think she's still one of the oldest scorers ever in the WSL she was at Everton and at Liverpool and when she was at Everton um, I went to go and see her because it was completely commonplace in those days of course it wasn't a professional league um, to have another job and Becky was a podiatrist so I did this little little mini news feature with Becky following her around lots of old people's homes looking at their feet <laughs> and just say <laughs> and just um, and just saying to Becky how do you mix this and she mixed it just like many of her peers she mixed it by effectively having two careers by having a day job and then three times a week at least plus a game day um, she would then go to Everton and they would train and that's how it went and, and that's when I met a very young and quite gobby Tony Duggan <laughs> Mo Marley uh, was at the club then as well. Um, so I've got some really fond memories from those early days and, and also I, I, I remember chasing Jill Scott's agent around a game that I was covering. I can't remember what what the game was, where I was. Um, but just how how to kind of chat to Jill Scott's agent. We'd be sat having a sandwich in a stand, um, having a good chat. And, you know, he'd leave the game and get in his kind of quite old Ford Escort or whatever it was he was driving. There was, there was no glitz at all associated with the game in those days. I do remember the first live broadcast being from um, Stamford Bridge and there was a Champions League game and we had Enya Luco on the show. And Alex Scott yeah. used to be on the show so often back then too. We are going to get on to some of those legendary players and the ones that we really remember from these, uh, these last 10 years. Right now, though, we're going to hear from a manager who's been part of the WSL since 2015 when he moved from Scottish side Hibs to move to Bristol. Since then, he's gone on to be assistant manager to Casey Stoney at Manchester United before taking the top job at Everton. It is, of course, Willie Kerr. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
there's only one place to begin today when we're celebrating such a landmark event, Willie, 10 years of the WSL. Where were you 10 years ago in your career? 10 years ago, I was uh, a Hibs woman. Uh, I don't think I'd been in the position that long because it was 2010 uh, that I took over. So I'd maybe only been in the position a year. And, uh, you know, at the time, it was my first move into the women's game. And and I, I would look down south and I'd see, you know, at the time, the top team being Arsenal and and, and even Everton, uh, bizarrely now that I'm, I'm in position here. But they were the top two teams. And, you know, the launch of the WSL was such an exciting thing for women's football. And, you know, being in Scotland, you'd look down at that and think, well, you know, one day I'd like to work down there. And obviously I've been fortunate enough to, to play a part in, in some of those uh, WSL seasons that have followed it. Tell us about the move to Bristol. How did that come about? And at what stage was the WSL in at that point in time? So this would have been 2015. Yep. So 2015, it was the, I'd actually spoke to Bristol about, almost a year and a half before when Mark Sampson got the England job and they decided to appoint Dave Edmondson. And then in between times, I left Hibs to take up a full-time position with the Scottish FA. And then I think Bristol had had a right tough start to the season and had, had, had been contacted about my interest in the job. And, and obviously this time, you know, both parties agreed to, to go forward with it. And I moved to Bristol and my first game was actually the, the last game before the 2015 World Cup. So there was a little bit of a buzz. You know, England were getting prepared to go to Canada. Uh, we played Arsenal with a 1-1 draw, which I thought was a really good start for my tenure. I thought, this is easy, this. <laughs> and then the 2015 was was obviously fantastic from an England point of view. And I think we all hoped we would see an upturn in interest in the WSL following that. And, and we did. And our... Our first two games back after the World Cup was away to Chelsea and home to Man City. So, you know, we were up against some of those Lionesses that we'd just been watching on TV and had grabbed a lot of really well-deserved headlines. And we've certainly seen an upturn in the attendances and the interest in the women's game. And I think following every tournament since, we've had that little little bump. You know, so attendances have all bumped up. Uh, upwards uh, interest TV viewers have all you know increased following every major tournament and uh, and and that has it's been a fantastic thing and then obviously you've had things like the Sky Sports BBC deal being announced you know in the last couple of weeks and it's just such a positive place to be and and I'm sure we'll see another uh, huge increase following our home Euros uh, next next summer. Yeah, what a journey it's been. I'm pretty sure, Willie, I did one of your first TV interviews because I'm pretty confident I was at that match against Arsenal. Um, I think I think that was the story, was that you'd taken over and we were, we were going to go and see how you did and got on. You've then gone on to do work at three different clubs in the WSL. What have, what have you made of, of the journey for you yourselves to date? It's been, it's been great. It's been, you know, the big thing for me was getting down to England uh, and then and then probably a little bit disappointed when I first arrived and suddenly realised that not all the teams were full-time and going into an environment at Bristol that actually wasn't that different to the environment I had at, at Hibs where predominantly you were training in the evenings. So I quickly set about trying to change that at the same time that a lot of other teams were already beginning to change. You know, I think Liverpool were, were full-time 
I think Chelsea then followed suit. Arsenal had to follow suit because they were still seen as the, the, the team. Man City came along and just changed the complete landscape of the game. And, and you know, as we've said, the, the game has just gone on to completely different levels since then. But I think my own journeys probably went along the same the same lines in terms of, you know, having the, the relegation with Bristol, but then changing from Bristol Academy to Bristol City, taking the team full time. And then obviously having that spell at Man United, you know, an absolute powerhouse of a club coming into the game, which was another lift for the game, I think. And then obviously moving to Everton and, and seeing the growth of my own club, you know, not just not just the game, but the growth of my own club has been fantastic. So, yeah, I think I think my own career in the WSL has, has followed the same sort of trajectory as the game itself. All right, well, next up, Willie Kurt, we're going to get you to just separate yourself from being Everton manager. We're asking everyone this today. We would like your favourite WSL memory from the last 10 years. And I'd also like you to try and contribute to our WSL best 11 over the last decade. So it might be one player that, that you can think of. You may even want to chuck in a second. But I'd like both those elements if you can, please. Right. I think the moment was probably, was it the 2014 season that went to the last game or the 2013 season? I don't know if it was Liverpool's first or Liverpool's second title. It was the second. It was the yes. second title. I was there, yeah. It was 2014. Right. And it was Bristol. Yeah. Right, okay, so they beat Bristol 3-0, didn't they? And that was enough for them. And there was everything riding on it, wasn't yeah. there? there was, you're basically waiting on results from so all I, over the place. I think that was the WSL's first sort of version of Helicopter Sunday, wasn't it? Uh, where it's like, where's the title going? And I remember, although I wasn't in England, I was very much, you know, had a, a vested interest in it. The fact that I was, I was trying to get to England. So I think that was a really big moment in terms of the excitement of the game. It was no longer, I think after that, we realised that it was no longer predictable. You know, I think up until that moment, it was it was fairly easy to predict the winners of the, the, the English league. You know, Arsenal for so many years. And then obviously Liverpool's first title win, I think, was after they'd went full time and the club had really invested. So, but I think that, that, that day where there was two or maybe even three teams could still win it. So that's probably the single moment for me in terms of a memory of it. And then player-wise, you know, I think two players that stick out for me is, and I'm lucky enough to be working with her every day now, is Jill Scott. Yeah. I, I remember going to the Cyprus Cup with Scotland. It was in 2010. I just went into the women's game, and Anna Signal did this fantastic thing where she took all the women's Scottish Premier League managers to the Cyprus Cup, probably getting the managers to see what international football looked like so they could then take it back to their club teams and try and develop players. It was very clever from her. And I remember Jill playing for England. I think her journey in the WSL, the fact that she's still playing a major part in it, I think she is a standout player. And then probably the other one for me, one, because of the level that she's performed at for so long, and two, because she's played for a number of different clubs, is Farah. Technically, Farah Williams for me is probably... I'm probably going to put my neck on line and say the best technical player I've ever seen in terms of the women's game. And the fact that she's played for, what, four teams during during this, this 10 years? She's been at Everton, Arsenal, Liverpool and Reading. 
So for me, Jill and Farah probably stick out as the two most iconic players in terms of the WSL. Good choices. What have you made of Everton's journey? You're in charge there now. And to end that decade, are you happy with where they are? Yeah, I think so. I think at the start of it, they were obviously one of the two prominent teams right at the very start. And then, you know, when I came down to England almost six years ago, they weren't even in the top league. They'd been relegated. I think they were working hard to become part of the main football club and not just almost like a a little sidecar to it. And then obviously, the, you know, they got promoted. You know, certainly, and this this is definitely not doubt just down to me, but the club have really invested. Since I've been here, our progression has been excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think we're all comfortable where we are. We're not just going to stop where we are and say, well, great, we're back into the top half of the table. We're happy with that. We want to be competing for trophies. We want to be qualifying for Champions League. And we're going to continue to sort of drive forward and and, and want to be one of the big players when, when the Sky Sports deal starts and you know we're looking at you know the women's equivalent of Super Sunday or or whatever it's got to be called you know we want to be a prominent feature on that and and be a team that entertains viewers and 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 plays a big part in and driving the game forward and and entertaining those millions of people that are hopefully going to tune in and watch. We understand that you've got great support from your chairman there at Everton, um, Willie. Have you already started heckling him for more budget next season, bearing in mind that Sky Sports deal? I I feel we're talking about budgets almost every day just now. So, uh, (laughs) yeah, there is, you know, we're going through that process just now in terms of the budgets. You know, we, we already know what the minimum is going to be, but obviously as a manager, you want to push for more and more, so... Uh, we're, we're quite mm. far advanced. Are there any particular things that you're hoping to do? Bring in any particular, whether it's personnel behind the scenes or anything you'd like to do as a club to take the club to the next stage? Yeah, well, I added three staff last year, and this year we're looking at bringing in another one, two, three, another four members of staff. Just we're at a level now where it's 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 detail. Uh, it's going to be the difference. Small, small details are going to make big differences now. I think, or, or that is where the big differences can be found in the small details. So, we're we're bringing in more staff to to support what we're doing. Obviously, players. You know, everybody looks at the playing squads. You know, you're only as good as your players. It doesn't matter how how well you coach. I think there's there's only so much you can do. But then it comes down to the quality of your squad. So recruitment is big for us. The quality of the squad is big for us. We've got a great environment here at Finch. I think COVID's probably more of a deterrent just now rather than budget. And I think COVID has prevented us doing certain things that we'd like to do. You know, it's very tight and obviously for safety reasons, the timetable is very tight in terms of when you can get access to the gym, when you can get access to the recovery pool. Because, you know, we've got three or four full-time teams all competing for the same facilities here. Uh, so I think COVID's probably as much a deterrent as, as finances are. But uh, yeah, that that's probably the main things for me. There's nothing that we are drastically missing that, that we need to put in place. It's just continue to make those improvements year on year, be that make sure we've got the best staff, make sure we've got the best environment and make sure we've got as good a playing squad as possible. 
you're definitely in a position now as well where you, you wouldn't be raided like you once were by Liverpool when they poached all your best players. I can remember when um, Natasha Dowie was brought across, Jill Scott, wasn't she? Tony Duggan were a few of the names. L- looking forward, though, the WSL now in 10 years' time, just for the league rather than, than just an Everton-focused question, um, where do you think it will be? I think it'll be it'll have more teams than it currently has. I think that is that is without a doubt. You know, as more and more teams invest, there will be more pressure to expand the league. And I think at the right time, that will be the right thing to do. I don't think, you know, we definitely do not have a problem with fixture congestion, that's for sure. I think there's far too many spare windows or available windows that we don't utilise. So I think everybody would like more games and expanding the league would, would get that. And I think we will expand as, as the game continues to grow. Uh, and I think obviously, you know, the, the Champions League format is changing and I think English clubs will be prominent in that. And and again, I think that'll be a good thing. That'll be a real positive and uh, it will only impact the league in a positive way in terms of the players that we are attracting to the league. And, and again, the competitiveness of the league because, you know, you add in an extra half dozen group games in the Champions League the pressure on the three teams in it next year mm-hmm. is going to grow. And that might open the door for, you know, an Everton, a Tottenham, you know, a Man United if they don't qualify for it to, to actually get in the next again season's Champions League spots. So so it's going to be fascinating how, how it will grow. And I'm, I'm very sure, you know, I'm, I'm positive that, that it will continue to grow in the next 10 years. Willie Kirk, Everton manager, thanks so much for joining us on the Offside Rule WSL edition. Thank you. Hi, this is Lindsay Johnson, former England and Everton defender. And my favourite player of the WSL era is Jill Scott. When she first came to us at Everton, she was only an 18-year-old. She was this tall, gangly thing. And it wasn't long before we realised, you know, what a great box-to-box player she was. The engine she had was just phenomenal. But, you know, she's turned out to be one of my closest friends and, uh, and I have a lot of respect for her. So... It's Jill Scott for me. Hi, this is Matt Beard. Looking back on 10 years of WSL, my standout memory is securing the league title with Liverpool in 2013, beating Bristol City 3-0. I'm Jen O'Neill, editor of She Kicks magazine. My first WSL game was actually on the 14th of April, the evening after the league kicked off, and it was at a freezing Sinsel Bank where Lincoln Ladies lost 1-0 to Donny Bells Vicky Exley got the goal and I, I, honestly I was Baltic and I think that's a theme that's often forgotten when folk reminisce about the summer season My best player over the 10 years of the WSL for me, because of just astonishing consistency at the very top, it's Steph Houghton at first Arsenal and then at Manchester City, just incredible Some great memories there from Willie Kirk, Sleggy. And I think one thing to pull out is the time when Manchester City joined the league in 2014 and they took it to a new level. I remember doing a big season preview. It was at BT Sport and it was the first time that players had had proper photographs taken, proper kind of studio style photographs taken. And Manchester City arrived with, well, with a game changing approach 
Let's not forget that they did it at the expense of Doncaster Rovers Bells as well, who dropped out. And there was a, there were huge, huge sort of protests against that. There was a huge outcry against that. But you can't take away really the impact City have had, and in turn, meaning that the teams around them have also had to raise their game as well. Yeah, I mean it's it's been a ruthless growth of this league, and you know it's City, Man City that that exploded that along with the, the money of Chelsea. And I know I feel the same as, as, as a football fan. I look at what's happened to Doncaster Rovers, Bells and Sunderland and Yeovil and Oxford. You know, even, even back in 2017, you had those names at the top in the top two divisions of the women's game that weren't there in the men's game. And I, I kind of like that. I like that as a fan. I like the way you had Yeovil up there at the top of the women's game when, you know, in the men's game, they're, they're well below that status. But, What's happened in these last few seasons, I feel like it, it was a necessary thing that the FA had to do. If they were to, to get a professional league to give more young girls and women the chance to actually have a career as a footballer, then they needed that money from the, from the Premier League giants. And that is what we are now seeing. And, you know, Willie Kirk there is, is kind of experiencing now. You, you see the way Everton started this season and to get them to an FA Cup final in his first full season... And you would think they're going to be kind of, a, you know, among the, the top five and six clubs now. You see Tottenham up there now in, in the WSL. OK, they're not pushing for anything like a Champions League position, but you imagine they're going to be part of that top flight for a while. And I don't think it's going to be too long before we've got almost a mirror image of, of the men's Premier League. And there's, there's sides to that that I don't really like as a fan, but there are sides to that that I think are necessary if you are going to allow the women's game to grow. We have seen so many other developments, probably too many for us to go through all of them on this show, but a a couple of standout ones. It did move Sleggy from a summer league to a winter league. Um, Do you think that's been good for the game? And also, you know, the eight teams now having 12, I think that's going to increase again at some point. Um, That needed to happen. Yeah, I I, I actually thought when they went back to the winter league, I thought, uh uh-oh, I thought this is not good news. It, It felt like a big risk. It felt like a gamble. It kind of looked like they'd admitted a mistake, and perhaps in a way, you know, the FA probably wouldn't admit that openly, but they realised they had to change it, and it's it's been very much for the good of the game. It's been it's been ideal for that to happen again. I mean, women's football has, has changed so much, and I think that has the, the way that it's been structured has changed so much and so frequently, and I think that has counted against it. I think it has alienated people. It alienated me as a sports journalist, not just a football fan, of trying to get into it because every season something else seemed to have happened. And look, that's still going to continue happening. We're going to have a WSL that changes in size and a championship that changes in size. Uh, But I don't think we're ever going to be going back to a summer league. The reason that happened was because they wanted to avoid a clash with with men's football and and it didn't really work because obviously there's other distractions in the summer and there's always a, a men's World Cup every two years or a men's European Championship every two years and other major mainly men's uh, sporting events. But to see now that it can stand alone as a, as a winter season, and yes, there's always going to be fixture congestion. So we're always going to have this problem where people who want to follow Arsenal men and Arsenal women and Man City men and Man City women are going to have days and weekends where they can't because you just literally cannot find a way of, of spreading out all of these fixtures with enough notice. But the fact that they have been able to grow it over these last three years or four as it is maybe going back into the Winter League, I think bodes really, really well. And I think it was a brave decision they made at the time. I thought it was the wrong decision at the time, but it was certainly 
the right thing to do. Well, we've had some early nominations in, as you've heard, for our favourite WSL players as we try and make this all-time WSL 11. So Jill Scott, Farrell Williams, Steph Horton in there. Chris, get thinking because we're going to be piecing it all together very soon. First, though, a quiz question for you. Can you name the first ever goal scorer in the WSL? The answer is this lady. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, well, let's take ourselves back to on this day in 2011. Chelsea and Arsenal stepped onto the field at Tooting and Mitcham Football Club to kick off the very first match in the Women's Super League. And we also had the very first goal scorer on that game as well. And it's our next guest here on the Offside Rule, Jilly Flaherty. Welcome back. Hello, guys. How are you? <laughs> very well. <laughs> We're great. You go down in history, Jilly. No one will ever take this away from you. And probably no one would ever expect it would be me, to be fair, who, uh, <laughs> who scored the goal. <laughs> yes, you'll be a pub quiz question, Jilly, from now until the end of time. Um, looking back on the FAWSL, can you relive the moment of that goal for us with your best memory? Yeah, so I remember it was, um, I remember it was a corner and... Um, Kim Little was on the ball and I was standing at the back post and it was sort of, I was meant to be there just in case it got really overhit. And it was probably the complete opposite in the fact of Kim hit it really low. And then I just remember Ellen White jumping over it, but like opening her legs and the ball run through her legs. And I was standing at the back post and I just was not paying any attention whatsoever. And I remember just going, oh, like, so I stuck my foot out um, and it went back across the goal in the top corner but I think if you watch the clip you actually can see that I've not I don't even move like I'm standing dead still and then I just run off and I'm like oh my god oh my god but (laughs) I said it didn't even cross my mind that that was the very first goal in the in the WSL at all. You said that your mum and dad didn't even know it was you that had scored and they were the other end of the pitch. Yeah so they was the opposite goal um, and I remember coming in um, to the bar afterwards where they both were and we were just chatting and I said like, oh, can you believe that I scored? And my mum was like, what do you mean you scored? Are <laughs> you having a laugh? Like, I don't score often. And she was like, oh, I thought it was Ellen White. I didn't even think it was you. And I said, oh, mum, you've just like ruined my vibes. <laughs> this is why we love football parents. It really is. There were over two and a half thousand fans, weren't there then? You're, you're obviously playing for Arsenal up against Chelsea. Was it was it kind of an even split of fans? Or at that point, I'd imagine Arsenal had a much bigger following. Yeah, I think there was a lot more Arsenal fans there. Um, but then I also think as well, there was just a lot more women's football fans. Um, because there was such a big hype about the day and there was a lot of media. They put like a singer there and there was like a, like a DJ playing. And I think they give out a lot of um, complimentary tickets as well to like the schools in the surrounding area. So I think there was just a lot of um, women football fans there as well. But I think there was more probably Arsenal fans there than Chelsea fans. But yeah, it was a great, it was a great attendance. Like, I mean, there was obviously two, there was a seat in standing and I think the rest of them are standing. Um, and it was just, yeah, you look back at the video footage of the day, it was just, there was bodies everywhere. Like it, was, it was really 
really good and for what you want. Do you know what I mean? If it's the first game of a new season and a new league, you don't really want just one man and his dog standing there. You want it to be nice and full and the atmosphere. So, yeah, it's a really good night. So is this 10th anniversary year, Jilly, making you feel a bit old? Oh, do you know what? It's finding grey hairs this year, yeah, has been <laughs> terrifying. But then finding out that it was the 10th year anniversary, it's just like... Oh, it's tough, but it does. It makes me feel well. Because I look back at pictures then and obviously my hair is different. Like I just got such a young, young face. And I look back and I just think it's 10 years has flown by. And it's quite scary, really. But at the same time, it's so exciting because I just think of where this league's going to be in 10 years time. And if you're coming in now as a 17, 18 year old, like you've got it all waiting here for you. It's incredible. It was a Wednesday night, by the way, as well, that first game which surprised me when I read it I was just like Wednesday Wednesday for WSL um can you remember the build-up to it Jilly because you'd obviously um a lot of players had experienced what had happened at Fulham or certainly knew what happened at Fulham in terms of that team going professional and things you know new sort of initiatives starting and then not quite landing were you fully confident that this was a change for the better or what was there any hesitation there any sort of doubt at that time from yourself or from players that actually this might go down like a dead duck if it wasn't done well yeah I think like obviously we'd seen as well what happened um with the American League when they turned pro and then they ended up folding and I think like for us obviously we changed from a winter league to the summer league um which was obviously different for players too like to obviously be playing in their off season and then to be finishing before Christmas you know like but I think for us, I said it the other day, that not once did it cross my mind that uh, we could be professional, fully professional in four or five years' time. It just, it never occurred to me. I think because we were still working and we was obviously playing in, like training in the evenings twice a week and then playing on the weekends. For me, I never thought, oh my God, I could do this as a job. For me, it was just us being able to promote women football so much better and do you know what I mean to increase the quality and to to get more people watching us it never was the fact Mm -hmm. of oh we saw pan signs in our eyes and stuff like that never was it it was just the fact of us being given the best opportunity to play football and you know to get more people watching it and obviously then it's just it's grown so much that yeah we are all of us now are so fortunate to say that that we're full-time professionals um and like I say it's just so exciting but the FA have been great with it I think the way that they've They've done it. You're always going to get people who moan. There's someone out there who finds something to moan about everything, you know, and, oh, it's a summer league and, oh, it's, no, it's a winter league and, you know, but the way that they've done it and the plan that they've had it and the way that it's gradually been built every single year, it's been fantastic. And I think yeah, things that happen to Fulham and things that happen to the American League, as much as they're, they're not the greatest things to happen, it's them things that have happened that have now made our league a lot more sustainable as well. And you're still there, Jilly, doing it for West Ham United, looking fresh-faced, might I add, what, despite what you say. <laughs> <laughs> we are asking everyone, So, and your best place to do this, having played in the league for 10 years, to just, and it's a hard thing to do, to name one of the best players in that 10 years. And I'd like to note from your perspective. You know what, I, I always talk about this, like, when people say about our league or players in our league I just always feel not guilty but I just feel gutted for the players at the very beginning who if they were playing in our league now would be uh would be even better do you know what I mean and I think of like I know a lot of people say about Kelly Smith like 
if she'd have been given the opportunity to now be in this league as a 26, 27-year-old, how frightening she would have been. But I think for me, it's like when I talk about players, I always talk about Jane Ludlow because I just think her as a midfielder, it's really hard to find a midfielder now I think in our league is like Jane Ludlow. The the box, the box, but the physical side of it as well. Like one her headers, one her tackles, you know, was was a good technician as well, could play. But for me, she's always been one who I just think like the captain side of it, like I would have loved to have been playing full time with her, you know, like in a professional environment, seeing her on a day-to-day basis and see how she would have not only just progressed herself, but, you know, like the whole team. She'd have been a fantastic leader if she was able to do this full-time now. So that's probably one player that I wish as well that I could play with now full-time. Looking ahead, you've got a new training base at Chadwell, Heath. Um, There's a lot going on at the club. And it is a fight, isn't it? It's a fight to stay in this top league of the WSL. Tell us what it's like training at Chadwell, Heath, and how that sets you up and the determination that you and the players will have. And I know you more than anyone else, Jilly, probably more vocal than anyone else, will be uh, pulling everyone up and pushing everyone forward to try and fight for survival. Yeah, like we're so fortunate, you know, to to have the facilities that we do. Like the training ground, we obviously reshare it with the, the under-21s and the under-18s, but we have like a whole women's section of it. Um, you know, like we, we obviously do see the boys around and stuff. And it's just like even the coaches, like they're asked us how we're getting on. And, you know, we've got like um, the cold baths, we've got the hot baths, we've got like our own physio, medical section. Like it's incredible facilities and it's worthy of, if you just took the performances and that aside, the club itself deserves to be played in the top division. Um, and like I said, for me, I, I had a chat with the girls before we went out against Reading and I said like, I probably could have, should have had a team talk a lot earlier than what I did. But for the past few weeks, like months, if that, I've really struggled with trying to deal with where we are in the league because in the whole of my career, I've never, ever faced this once. So it's then taken me a good few weeks to process what's going on and learn myself, right, now how can I get the best out of my teammates for us to fight and stay in this league? And performances-wise, we don't deserve to be in the position that we're in. We've just... In all honesty, we've just not had a lot of luck this year with things that have happened. But we're, we're determined to, to, obviously, I think you, you can see in the performance against Reading, we're determined to stay in this league. We're determined to fight every single game. And, you know, Reading's not just going to be a one-off for us. We're going to try and take that performance as well into the, the remaining games. And, you know, we've got five, whatever it is, five remaining cup finals for us. Um, and we're focused on, on the challenge ahead. Jilly Flaherty, the scorer of the very first WSL goal. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Hi, I'm Annie Luco, former Birmingham, Chelsea and England international. Happy 10th anniversary to the FAWSL. It is an amazing achievement to have reached 10 years of the league. My favourite memory by a country mile is winning the league in uh, 2015 with Chelsea for the first time in the club's history. A club that is very close to my heart. I remember just being... So happy that I had tears of joy winning the league. So, yeah, happy anniversary to, to the FA WSL and congratulations to the FA. I wish more success in the next 10 years and more progression in women's football. Well, there's no doubt that Jilly is one of the WSL greats. Would she make 
the WSL Hall of Fame, though. This is the announcement that's come on this anniversary, 10 years of the FA Women's Super League. Uh, and that's that there's going to be a Hall of Fame. Um, so it's going to recognise, um, we hear, at Lindsay, those individuals who've made a significant impact on the league. It could be a golden boot winner, a championship winning coach, or an individual who's displayed excellence or leadership during the league's existence. Yeah, the FA are going to be assembling a board to choose those people that are entered into the Hall of Fame and that will start later on this year. I guess it moves us on nicely, doesn't it, to talking about um, 11s and and who would be your favourite players of all time. Sleggy, uh, you've had some time now to have a think. Who would be on your list? Yeah, I think for me, Flaherty does just about make it in there. I think, I mean, when you're looking at the defence, obviously Bronze and Horton have to be nailed on. I think it's between Flaherty and and Stoney for the other centre-back berth alongside Horton. And I would just give it to... Flaherty, two WSL titles with Arsenal, two and a spring series uh, with Chelsea, and you know, and still playing now with West Ham. I'd, I'd go with Claire Rafferty at left back, um, such a distinguished career okay. with Chelsea. Um, and behind them, I would put Karen Bardsley in goal. I've got Karen Bardsley, yeah. Again, for longevity. Yeah. Record yes, number I think of, so. of clean sheets. Just picking up on defensive line, Lindsay, who would you put in there? Because I, once I started thinking about it, of course, I thought about Rachel Yankee, Alex Scott, Casey Stoney. Yeah, I've got I've got Rachel Yankee, Alex Scott, Laura Bassett. Yes. I mean, in terms of names that I've written down, Kaz Carney, um, I've written down Kim Little, uh, Ji So Yun. I think mm. she's been incredible. One of the favourite players that I've watched over the 10 years, I have to say, is Gemma Davison. Um, yes. So I'd, I'd put her in there somewhere. Gemma Bonner as well. Um, great shout, you know, just in terms of her service and the fact that there's a reason why she's played so much. She's, she's you know, a really good quality player. And we can't forget foreign players as well. This isn't just an English uh, WSL, as you point out, with having G in there. You've got to have Vivian Miedemar in there as well, haven't you? You can't not have Viv in there as, uh, as the top scorer. Um, but then you can think about American imports as well, can't you, Sleggy? Whether you look at Carly Lloyd, um, who was sort of one of the initial big names. That was so brief. She can't be. She can't be in the 11. Well, no, exactly. I'm not, I'm not saying her necessarily but where do you put Sam Kerr I mean it doesn't just have to be older players does it do you put Sam Kerr in your all-time WSL 11 I mean it it is so tough to do these these lists and it obviously depends on the criteria you choose but yeah I mean I fought long and hard about Sam Kerr because you look at the levels that she's reached this season but it's kind of hard to pick someone on you know on the basis of a of one season it feels to me out of my 11 I wouldn't wouldn't quite put her in there. I would definitely have G in there. I think G is perhaps the greatest player in the WSL. I, th- I think she goes a bit under the radar, but what she has done at Chelsea and the way she's had to change her role this season, and she is still such an integral part, playing a very different role. Her, her alongside Farrah Williams in midfield. I mean, it, you talk, we heard Willie Kirk choose Farrah, and I have to agree with him in terms of te- technical ability and how long she's played for. Surely she's got to be in there. And then we've got Jill Scott. Is that our three in midfield then? We've got Kaz Carney, haven't we? G, Scott and Farah. So do we have four in midfield? Yeah, I, th- I think to help you out here, <laughs> I think we should go 4-4-2. OK. Um, because I think there's a wealth of talent in that midfield area. And I, and I, I can't see past uh, Kelly Smith and Vivian Miedemar up front. Yeah, I mean, you've absolutely got to have Miedemar in there. But the formation I went with was a was a 4-3-3 and I'd have had Kirby and I'd have had Rachel Yankee 
alongside Miedemar. But I think I think the four four two you're going with, you know, you can't you can't really argue that anyone should be deleted off that list, and that's that's a tricky thing when other names get thrown, and you think, well, they've got to be on there too, and it, it's just um, so hard to do. It'll be fascinating to see what other people uh, come up with. But yeah, Viviana Miedemar obviously has to lead the line for me to to have won the Golden Boot twice, to be the all time top scorer in the WSL and she's still only 24 isn't she now um yeah she she's got to lead that line for me but yeah I went I went with Kirby because I think other than that one season where she obviously had other problems uh medical problems to have been able to respond to that and take her game to a new level this season I I think she's warrants her place on that team and Rachel Yankee again she's one of those people of the WSL era yeah yeah quite possibly um and I, I just think you know there are so many of these players have got so many moments that that stand out that um that have helped progress this this competition to a to a new level that you, you really you want to be able to pick two teams <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, we do. um really to do it justice we do so chris lindsay let's nail down this 11 then it won't be definitive and we'd like you to get involved at offside rule pod with who you would change in and out of this Karen Bardsley, we're all agreed on in goal. We're all agreed. Yes. So should we stay with the goalkeeper? Yep. <laughs> Defensive lines, we've got Steph Horton, Lucy Bronze. They both have to be in for me. And then I, okay. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but you've got to go with Laura Bassett or Casey Stoney in, in there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would have gone for Flatty, but you, you're quite right. You know, Bassett and Stoney deserve their mention in there. If, if it was one of those two, I'd go with Stoney. Oh. I think I think for a bit of variety, I don't want to do this because I know that Laura Bassett listens every week and I want her to think that I'm going to say pass. <laughs> but I think for our formation here and just to have an extra an extra level of attack, I think Alex Scott. You're going to put Alex yeah. Scott in, aren't you? So Alex Scott, Casey Stoney. Yeah. Lucy Bronze, Steph Horton. Yeah. Sorry, Bass. Uh, midfield, G, Jill Scott. Farrah Williams, because she can also do a defensive job as well, and Kim Little for Flair. I would say though, if you're thinking of formation, you, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have G, Farrah and Jill, because Jill and Farrah probably do similar job. You need you need now the creativity. So I, I would say Karen Carney. <laughs> okay, so I'm taking Kim Little out and I'm putting Karen Carney in, am I? Yeah, maybe. And then up front, we're agreed on Miedemar and Kelly Smith. We do have some differences in the camp, by the way, if you're listening to this. So this is as far as we've got without everyone falling out. OK, Karen Bardsley in goal, Steph Horton, Lucy Bronze, Casey Stoney and Alex Scott back line. Midfield of G, Jill Scott, Farrah Williams, Karen Carney and up front Viv Miedemar and Kelly Smith. Uh, let us know at Offside Rule Pod who you'd like to disagree with, who's in, who's out of this WSL Best Ever 11. Hi, it's Casey Stoney, um, just celebrating 10 years of the WSL. I've got lots of memories, some good, some bad, uh, but my most memorable one was when I was playing for Lincoln in a game we definitely were not supposed to get a result out of. Arsenal came to us and we managed to get a 1-1 draw and we had to fight really hard to get that 1-1 draw. We didn't have the same team Arsenal did, but it was a huge point for us at the time and really gave the squad some belief in terms of what they could do. So definitely in terms of team, loved it there, had a great time um, and that was a memorable night for us. 
back on to WSL matters to finish. We've got a new date for Manchester City versus Chelsea. This could be a potential title deciding match. It is going to be Wednesday, the 21st of April, a 6pm kickoff. And that is because of Chelsea's first Champions League semi-final against Bayern Munich. That's away on Sunday, the 25th of April. Uh, Because of that all-important fixture at the top of the table, it's important that we tell you now we will move next week's podcast to record straight after that game between Man City and Chelsea. Um, We'll look to release it as soon as we can. After that match is finished, we'll get recording and we'll try and get it out before midnight like Cinderella. Uh, We'll get our (laughs) slippers on and try and get on the way to getting that to you as quickly as we can. This weekend sees the fourth round of the FA Cup. In honour of your book, Chris, this means we can talk about that even more. Uh, This is where the so-called big guns from the WSL1 enter the competition. So got Chelsea, London City Lionesses on Friday, Man City, Villa on Saturday, 14 fixtures on Sunday, Sluggy. We'll never get through all this <laughs> in the small amount of time we've got. So pick some out for us, perhaps some potential upsets. Yeah, I mean, we don't get a lot of upsets. I mean, the currency of an upset in the women's FA Cup is even greater than in, in the men's because there is such a stark contrast in in um, in levels. But I, I, the, the three that really stand out to me are, are when we've got tier three sides coming up against WSL uh, side. So we've got Gillingham travelling to Arsenal. And, you know, they're probably well, they're almost certainly going to get beaten and it will be about damage limitation. But uh, a good few years back, I think they did only lose 2-0 to them in, in the FA Cup. Um, you've got Man U are going to Burnley. Now, Burnley have had a brilliant few seasons, uh, promoted uh, two years in a row. And their, their first kind of uh, season in, in Tier 3 was the coronavirus season last year. So they haven't yeah. actually played a a full season at that level, but they're doing ever so well under their very young manager, Matt B, and, and them uh, hosting Man U on Sunday. It's the first time they'll ever have played a, a top-flight opponent, so a, a real big occasion for them. And then that third tie where you've got a t- Tier 3 club playing the WSL outfit, Chichester and, and Celsi travelling to West Ham. That's the one I want to watch. That's it. <laughs> That's what the FA Cup's about. Come on. Yeah, I, I think it's... It's all about the occasion for for those for those clubs. Obviously, they'll be doing their, their utmost to 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 cause a shock. And if there's going to be one, it would be Chichester, I guess, given how West Ham have been struggling in in the league. But I don't think that's going to happen. But it is. It's just great to see, given that back in January we we really were facing the prospect. I mean, the FA discussed openly deciding those uh, first, second, and third round ties on the the toss of a coin or drawing lots and. And clubs like Burnley, Gillingham, Chichester and Chelsea didn't even know if they would kick another ball this season. And they have fought through those early rounds and they are rewarded with taking on some of the very, very best players in the country. When's the book out, Sluggy, by the way? So so the book, uh, A History of the Women's FA Cup Final, celebrating the 50th anniversary of the very first final. It might be coming out in May. That was the original plan, May the 3rd. But it might now be held back until whenever the next final uh, takes place because the FA are yet to confirm, of course, a date for the 2021 Women's FA Cup final. We do know it's going to be in next season. Uh, perhaps it's going to be like last year, kind of November the 1st. Um, so I don't yet know, but you can Google um, a history of the Women's FA Cup final and you can order it, pre-order it. But um, yeah, the actual date for publication still to be confirmed, unfortunately. Well, look, there's a great piece up on the site if you can't wait for Chris's book, um, all about football in East Anglia and how it's stood still for nearly 35 years. The 
clubs that it mentions are among others Lowestoft Ladies, who won the FA Cup and disbanded five months later. And the untold story of when Norwich won the FA Cup as well. So if you're after some memories and a little look at football, women's football in East Anglia, there's there's a great piece up online from Ali Rampling. That's at offsiderulepodcast.com. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Chris, good luck with the Women's FA Cup history book that's going to be coming out. Uh, Come back on when you've got a published date and we'll make sure that we give that a good plug. And also a big congratulations to the the FAWSL as well. Ten years in, still going strong. So much excitement really for the future of it as well. And I've loved reliving a few memories with you both today. Yes, and to all of you that have contributed to this show, giving us your memories, we really appreciate it. We'd love to hear from you as well, the fans. What are the moments that you've enjoyed? Who would be in that all-time WSL 11? Uh, it's been a tough one for us to draw, but we'll, we're happy to hear what your thoughts are at Offside Rule Pod. Uh, reminder then that the podcast will return next Wednesday, not Tuesday, after the Manchester City versus Chelsea game. Uh, and we'll speak to you again next week. Thanks, Chris, and bye to you. Thank you. <laughs> well, let's finish then with some more memories from a decade of the Women's Super League. Hi, I'm Tony Layden, freelance football writer covering the women's game since the late 1990s. The WSL was a a long time coming after the FA's promise of a professional women's league by 2003. But when it finally arrived, that first league night at Tootingham Mitchum was something special. Walking up the ground, there was a a real buzz uh, talking to FA staff who'd worked so hard to bring the league to fruition, to long-standing fans who never thought they'd see this day. And then from a very encouraging... Uh, media point of view, seeing the virtually unknown sight of an almost full press box for a women's game. That's something I thought I'd never see in women's football in this country. So that's great, great news. Hey, hey, this is Beck Smith, ex-New Zealand captain and Walsberg defender and host of the Players Podcast. A big fat happy birthday to the Barclays FAWSL. One of my favourite matches was when Arsenal played Man United to try to keep their dreams alive of qualifying for the Champions League. Arsenal had, you know, red card and some of their starting players out and you saw young players like Lofty Wobbemoy stepping up and scoring. Um, And Man United has just had such a strong season so we knew it was going to be a good game. That was definitely one of my highlights but really looking forward to the end of the season and wishing them a happy birthday. Hi, I'm Samantha Miller, presenter and former Tottenham and West Ham player. I can't believe it's been 10 years of the Barclays FA Women's Super League. I think we've been really lucky to have been graced with some of the most talented footballers in this league. And for me in particular, I always enjoy watching Fran Kirby. The way she manipulates the ball, her game intelligence and the amount of goals she scored. I can't wait to see what's next in the Barclays FA WSL. You've been listening to the Offside Rule WSL edition, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside Rule at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Offside Rule WSL edition is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events 
the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.